0: Welcome to the PowerCast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. Absolute pleasure today to have Phil Learning the legend himself, real OG of the British uh, fitness scene on the uh, podcast. So thanks very much for coming on Phil. You're very welcome. The legend, <laughs> the
1: legend. Uh, Yeah, I, I, I don't know about that one, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'll take it. <laughs>
0: So give us a brief like, uh, intro for who you are within synopsis within a 30 seconds.
1: Right. Uh, I've done this many times. Normally, you know, normally, my response to that would be, I don't like doing it. But I've been, <laughs> uh, I've been in the industry 25 years. I was a coach uh, for 20 of those years. I retired five years ago. Uh, I'm really nutshelling all of this. Uh, I retired five years ago to focus on the educational side of what I, what, what I was offering. Uh, I've been doing that for about 10 years. I uh, now own a company called Advanced Coaching Academy. We provide the education once people are qualified and in the industry. We do all the extracurricular stuff, we do the business stuff, we do the nutrition, we do the coaching. And in amongst that, we also do a lot of coaching assets. So we provide material for businesses uh, to help them scale what they're doing so uh things like lead capture all those sort of things that if you were to look at like a marketing funnel we do a lot of the stuff that's at the top of it all the stuff that's going to create awareness around Great your time it's going to help get you out there and you know just for random people to go oh my god they've got something there that's of interest to me and and just get people watching and and, and seeing who you are so we do a lot of that stuff because obviously that's a, an integral part of the business almost mentoring we do so yeah so so and um, here i am Yeah.
0: <laughs> So um, today's podcast, we're going to run through a few topics. And ones ones, obviously I want to speak to you about your core background, obviously nutrition and training. You've got a huge amount of knowledge and experience with that um, over the years. One of the first things I want to talk about is obviously your opinion. There's been a lot of um, debate in regards to diet, nutrition, like as there always is. And it's always a very, very hot topic. What's your opinion in terms of like the optimal diet for most people in terms of fat loss? Is it purely a calorie deficit? And obviously there's a big vegan hype and movement at the moment um which is another like thing popping out of the woodwork
1: it's uh, this is uh, again it's one of those things where you know when you answer these things you feel like you're almost
0: uh going to be polarized
1: yeah and you and you're all you're almost giving that stereotypical kind of answer but in essence with with diet with nutrition the the key thing and I'm going to talk from a coaching perspective, because yeah. uh, again, I, I gather most of your audience are coaches. So from a coaching perspective, what you're ultimately trying to do is you're trying to find a, a diet that someone is firstly going to adhere to. That is more than anything more important because ultimately, when we look at all these different systems, all these different methods, all these different types of diets, whatever it might be, you know, uh, put one right at the far end of the spectrum and let's talk about keto. So keto is going to work for some people because it just fits their lifestyle. Uh, a lot of the people I used to do keto with were people who traveled a lot. Uh, I did keto with actors quite often uh, because it was just easy. It was just a basic rule. It was keep essentially carbs from your diet, uh, eat loads of meat or loads of vegetables, and obviously the the, the satiety of protein and things like that help with keeping the calories down. And then we'd just give them caloric targets. And ultimately, that's kind of a chicken or egg scenario. It's which comes first. Which one do you decide on? Do you decide on the type of method that you're going to follow or the fidelity of the, the, the diet? And then the calories, or do you pick the calories first and then figure out what, how everything else is going to fit? And depending on the population that you're dealing with, it depends on the, the extremes you go to. So again, keto is an example. Keto was something that I would use, and again, I use the example of actors, is because it was short term, is that I know the vast majority of people ain't going to, uh, they're not going to eat a diet devoid of carbohydrates for their entire life. You know, It's not enjoyable, it's not sociable, it's not, it's not all those different, it's, it's just not easy to do that unless you're controlling your own sort of environments all the time and what we would do after that is we'd look at kind of general population and, and, and a lot of when we take on a food diary for example we're not really interested in the foods they eat we're more interested in the context in which they eat them so we would look at behaviors we'd look at habits we'd look at all those different things and we'd look at how do you frame a piece of food or how do you frame a uh, an overindulgent food, and, and and why are they consuming that, and and what's the habit and the behaviour that causes them to consume that? and We'd look at the habits and the behaviours a lot. The, the triggers almost as well. Yeah, so rather than just rather than just the foods and saying, "Look, you shouldn't be eating that," we'd look at why they were eating it, and and we'd break all that down. And ultimately, again, we we come all the way back, Charlie, to probably the the, the really crutch of the answer is that we'd look at calories. You know, it all comes down to ultimately that energetic, you know, uh, transference and and going look. What are you expending? What are you taking in? We need to figure that out, whatever way we look at it. That has ultimately got, got to be the, the, the staple of what we're trying to do. If we're looking at weight loss or we're looking at weight gain or whatever the goals are, calories are going to play that overreaching and overlying role, really. So, so we go about it in different ways, depending on the individual. You know, If I've got somebody who, who doesn't seem to have any kind of habits or behaviors around what they eat, they just eat as they go, it's very easy to move them onto a, a specific way of eating. Whereas somebody where there's a lot of ingrained habits and behaviors and they have a big social calendar or they have a working schedule that involves eating or drinking, it, it, it's much easier to look at those behaviors and those habits. So, so in, a, in a kind of an elongated way, which is, which is the best, it's the one that works. It's the one that they adhere to and it's the one that fits with their lifestyle at that particular point. Because remember again, you'll have probably experienced this: is that, that I found when I was when I was a, a single bloke, I had a I had a job that was that was that I could control the hours of and things like this. Dieting was simple; it was that easy. Routine, easy, uh, yeah, yeah. I just totally I, I totally avoided <laughs> any social gathering. You know, people are like coming out for dinner on Friday. I'm like, nope. It was easy, you know, and and I could create my food in my Tupperware. You could take yourself well. out of the
0: awkward environments.
1: Yeah, so it was, you know, and then and then really life in many respects kicks in and there's other bits and pieces, you know, three kids have got you know, married and, and, and there's other things to take into the equation. And as a coach, it's very important that you look at all those outside uh, variables and not make that assumption. And I think, you know, a lot of people in our sort of sector make that assumption that you've just got to tell someone what to do and they'll go away and do it, but you don't look at what you're asking them to do. Because asking a single bloke who's you know who who lives in a, a one bed flat and and you know trains nine times a week you know asking them to pet their their food every night and sticking in some Tupperware containers you know is no biggie, but asking someone who's got to feed kids when they get home they 've got to get them up for school in the morning they've got to you know uh, they've, they've got a partner who 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 likes to eat out and likes the social side and that was probably how the relationship started and all those different things so yeah it's it's kind of an elongated answer but but yeah, we'd look at the context in which everything sits.
0: I think that's where like, the biggest mistake I see from so many people come to us, so for example, i have had bad experiences with coaches in the past, is that they're given a very generic diet that is foods they don't like to eat, and there's no thought process on actually how they'd actually structure this into their day. Because in reality, like a normal person isn't going to be able to, isn't going to eat chicken and rice six times a day and live that bro lifestyle that some coaches would try and preach on to people.
1: No. And it's also, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's unsustainable from the onset. You know, that yeah, you know, no, no, nobody really, unless, unless they live that lifestyle for 20 or 30 years. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I I know bodybuilders and I know people in the physique, uh, worlds and things like this who eat like that and have done for 20 or 30 years. And you, you you're always gonna have outliers, you're gonna always gonna have people. And what coaches rely a lot on is those outliers. And you you go back ten years, Charlie. There was, you know, there was there was people coaching who were given those generic style style of diets. What was happening is that one in 20 people were succeeding. And and remember that ratio then then expanded because what, what was happening ten years ago is the people that went to gyms were people who were gym people. Whereas what we've done now, and this is a great thing, is that the general population have embraced going to the gym. So that ratio of success that PTs and coaches used to get 10 years ago, given these chicken and broccoli style diets, it has now been, it's, it's one in a hundred now. Just it's watered it down essentially. Yeah, of course, because 99% of your clients now are, are really, truly general, general population. Whereas 10 years ago, chances are, if you found somebody and found a client in a gym, they were a gym person.
0: Yeah, that no, was serious.
1: So it was it was a, it was, a, it was a, a less of an ask, right? So, so the, the, you know, the world has changed with respect to coaching. The world has changed with respect to the type of people we deal with, and 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 it's had to evolve, and it it's got to evolve. And and unfortunately, there's still people doing those old school sort of things and hoping that one day somebody will, will, will do it and follow it, and and they'll get shredded, you know. And, and and I think you know maybe even the seminar that you came to, Charlie, is that I'll often throw it out a seminar as I say, look. You know, if I'm thinking about a diet that's going to work, if I throw it out to an audience of 200 people and tell everybody that they're going to eat chicken and broccoli six times a day and they're going to go to the gym five days a week, every single person in that room is going to get results. You know, yeah, exactly. but the fact is, 99% of them aren't going to follow it.
0: Mm. Because so what are we adherence. looking at?
1: Yeah, we're looking at adherence, right?
0: And structure around it. Do you think a lot of like, obviously, your big movement and background of what you do now, which is incredible, is educating people and providing. The correct knowledge, so more trainers and coaches can help people in the correct manner. Do you think a lot of people, maybe from the past area ten years ago, are maybe very set in their ways
1: that you have to still? Yeah, yeah. But again, I think correct. it's a self. I think it's a self-cleansing thing, Charlie. I think. I think those that are still set in their ways from ten years ago, it provided they stay in the types of gyms that are only going to cater to that kind of demographic. But you only have to deal with that
0: clientele. that
1: will be cool you know, but the problem is you've got coaches from 10 and, and, and this is a pattern that I've seen a million times over is that you'll get coaches who who were in the industry 20 years ago and they worked, they started their profession in maybe a, a bodybuilding gym or a gym that was again catered more for gym people. And, and what they've done is they've, they're still doing the same things and they're failing miserably. And then, you know, their, their first port of college is to, to, to Pass that over to somebody else and, and, and complain that it's the client's fault. Yeah, the first thing I see is yeah. the client. Yeah, the clients don't take it seriously enough. The clients don't do this, the clients don't do that. No, 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 you're just not listening to them.
0: That, it's one of the things I liked. Uh, so I think I heard it at school, and it was uh, you've got two ears, one mouth. You just need to listen to people. Yeah, like yeah. It's For a reason.
1: I mean listening listening a skill it, it really is and and taking something from a dialogue is is something that we we do a lot of work on in the academy as to as to what are you listening for so what are the subtle clues that people are giving you and what are the what's the stuff that when people document stuff on paper what are the things that you can take from that and what are the things that you can learn as a coach to make you a better coach you know and ultimately it's those little things that will make the difference and it's not find out detail it's not like you know, uh, looking at some of the micronutrients and things like this—it's it's the macro details, but it's being able to note micro things that will influence those macro details. If that makes sense. Do you think um, too many people sometimes are too
0: concerned about the small percentages, the niches, rather than the overall?
1: I think too many people are concerned about detail. Yeah, I think when you know, it's a bit like you know, you're buying your first house. You know, people, people buy their first house and, and, and instead of thinking about, you know, the, the the structure of the house and things like this, they're, they're more concerned about buying the furniture. And it, it's, you know, they think about what color curtains they're going to have and they're going to think about all those different things. And, and we've got to think about that framework. We've got to think about, the, 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 you know, how do you set this whole thing up? You know, it's like training. Ultimately, we've got to make some big, big decisions to start with, with someone's training routine. You know, and and that's going to form the basis of the rest of the program. And is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? No, there's just a way that works a little bit better than probably it did before. And that's a trial and error uh, scenario in the vast majority of cases. It isn't a matter of just going, look, this person is going to work for them, this person is. not we don't know that a lot of the time. All we know is that if we, we trial things with this person, there's a higher likelihood because of certain things that we've picked up on that these are going to, you know, even like things like limb length, right? Yeah. So we look at limb length is that that is an observational thing is that I'm, you know, and I always used to talk to coaches about, you know, when a client walks into a consultation, your assessment has started, you know, your assessment has started. If you manage to see them walking off the street and see who they are and see what the demeanor is and see, see, you know, see how they interact with the reception area and all those different things will change the way that you would consult with them. And these are things that I used to, you know, pick up on. And I was fortunate enough, I grew up in a, I grew up in a pub back in the late. And I used to watch my dad do this, is that he would talk to complete strangers, but I'd see him picking up on little things about them as to how does he talk to them? Is this person got a dry humor? Are they, you know, are they very vocal? Do they like to be listened to rather than, you know, spoken to? And he'd figure out all these little things and, and that would make that conversation work and flow so much better. And remember, when you're consulting with someone, you're trying to get as much information out of them as possible. And for some people, writing it down is a great thing. Other people listening to them is a great thing. Other people... And we need that eclectic sort of uh, variance of, of information and data gathering. And, and as you know, you know in, when it comes to business, data is king. You, know, you talk to anyone in any business now, people go, what's the most important thing? Data. Data is the most important thing. But like Google and
0: Facebook around the world.
1: Oh, you know, data. I want to know as much about my client as I can. 'Cause that's gonna help me. But knowing all this information is kinda and I remember back in the day though those consultation forms we used to get generically. And you get to the end of it and you take nothing from this consultation form. It was just a bunch of information that nobody was gonna ever use. You know, I'm more concerned about information that is useful for me as a coach. So how do we take that basic consultation form and how do we how do we expand questions to find out what we need to find out to again coach successfully? And again, as you said, two years more miles, right?
0: Yeah, 100%. Obviously, you're referring back to the, the old days then a little bit. What's the, the biggest change you think you've seen in terms of the industry in the last sort of, 10 years or so from then? Obviously, it's quite an open question.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean so many things. I think the, the level of coaching as Our awareness of coaches has gone up. Therefore, people think that the level of coaching has probably gone down, when in fact it has actually gone up massively. I'd say there's more,
0: more. There's more information freely available for people. Yeah.
1: So, so if you take a good coach, a good coach is, is way above what a good coach was ten years ago. You take a bad coach. A bad coach is also in many respects probably way worse than they were ten years ago because they're privy to information now. Again, you know exactly what I was just talking about a minute ago, is that one of the abilities as a coach is to be able to take information and curate what's what's right and what's wrong. Because we're in this information superhighway, right? And we're, you know, we're getting bombarded left, right, and center. And it's, it's what do we take on board and what don't we take on board? Or what do we take with a pinch of salt? And knowing those different things is very important. And you know, I, you know, I'm a sports scientist. You know, I, I've, I've done a degree. I'm, you know, I'm versed in those things. And one of the things that we learned was how do you take information and deduce what's good, what's bad, what's ugly? And, and the problem is, is a lot of these coaches coming into the industry, they're not taught that skill. They're just told, look, listen. If it makes sense, and and hey, I cringe. I go back 15 years ago to when I was in the industry, and and there were things that I took on board and because they made sense in my head. I would think they were factual, you know. And there's some really crazy. You, you stuff can justify anything
0: to yourself, though. So oh,
1: yeah, mad stuff. I mean, it was it was you know about clean food. I remember that being a big thing with me. Is that you know, clean food, everything has to be clean food and everything has to be, but again, I wasn't even sure of the definition of what clean food was. And that was the reality. It was just there was this and there was that, and there was no kind of in between. There was no, there was no what determines what's what. And and again, we still hear that term today. People talk about clean food might define what clean food is. (laughs) Has it been wiped? Again, it's, it's open for
0: interpretation it depends on the individual's opinion of that
1: Of course yeah but, it, but again, a, a lot of it is, is how versed are people at taking information on board and using it for something because again if we're bombarded with loads of information we're just like anybody else we're like the, the general public you know coaches like the general public they can be coerced and convinced that something works i mean uh, you know you you, you it's see like
0: these the, booty bollocks and all this stuff
1: like. yeah but you see it on social media and, and 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 you see these things and you see these things people are talking about and uh, there's a there's a movement guy i remember this movement guy's been about to, you know probably 10 15 years and his stuff's horrendous when it comes to science he's just he's anti- everything you know he's like an anti-deadlifter he's like an (laughs) anti-squatter he's like an anti this that but he removes all context from the the situation and just goes look this is why you shouldn't do it but he doesn't think about why you should do it and i always you know i always use this analogy in 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 seminars and you might heard this one charlie is that i always talk about you know you've got two sides to anything you've got the the low-fat people and you've got the high-fat people and and they, they're, they're throwing these proverbial rocks at each other. And what a great coach is doing is standing slap bang in the middle and listening to both sides. And, and they're picking up all these rocks that are falling in the middle and then they're walking off, you know, smug as hell because they actually know both sides of the story. And they can take a... And, and what you've got to do as a coach is you've actually got to throw yourself into the middle of that fight. Take the benefits from both sides. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to get involved with that fight. You've got to be involved with it, but without being involved with it, if that makes sense. You've got to listen. You got like to tw- switch back. to the neutral. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's this whole thing about don't you know, don't argue with something you don't understand. You know, there's no point arguing with either of us because you don't fully understand it. Now, if you stand in the middle and listen to them all throw, uh, you know, these proverbial rocks at each other for for hours and hours and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks, you learn an awful lot, and and you can walk away with with what we would call an educated decision. Whereas what you've got here is you've got two biased opinions. And what you've got in the middle of it is you've got an educated decision that comes from information that's been garnered from these two sides. So, you know, these are all coaching skills, right? These are all things that coaches need to learn to do.
0: Talking on, obviously, uh, extreme spectrums, what's your thoughts on the vegan movement and things like
1: that?
0: Uh, Because that's obviously had a lot of – I think it seems to have died off, to be honest with you, in my opinion, last month or two a little bit. But it's when the game changes – Documentary first, yeah,
1: but you know, again, same thing, Charlie. Context. What are we? Are we, we, we talking about it in context a lot of that? Are we talking about it as a diet? Are we talking about it as a as a movement? From, are we talking about it as an about an environmental thing? Are we talking about it as a from, a, from a,
0: like um, a performance and results based.
1: Point of view. Well, performance and results point. based. If, if we take, let's take vegan and we'll take plant based because they're two different things. Yes. People, people f- find it very hard and difficult to it's interpret different. between those things. We, we, you know, we produced a recipe this book this this month that's plant based, and and guaranteed. I'm waiting for all the emails coming back to us because there's there's, there's eggs in it. People going to freak out. <laughs> people going to freak out and go, "Oh my god, it's not plant based." I'm like, it is plant based. Because plant-based and vegan are two different things. Now, you know, vegan follows the, the rules of being a vegan. Plant-based means that you have predominantly a plant-based diet, which as a coach you know, who's been in the industry a long time, for the past 25 years, I have advocated a plant-based diet. You know, I've been telling people they should eat more vegetables, they should eat more uh, plant-based foods for decades. It's nothing new. You know, And the vast majority of people out there, take all the environmental stuff and just shove it to one side. Let's talk about health. The vast majority of people probably need to eat more plants in their diet. In fact, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to throw it out there and not say the vast majority of people. I'm going to say everybody, right? This is nothing new. Now, when we talk about it from an environmental perspective, again, the, the, I'm still stood in the middle, right? Because I don't know both arguments fully. Okay, I'm, 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 I can't say it's good for the environment, it's bad for the environment because there's so many variables. so many counter-arguments
0: back. to either side, you can't, and, and you don't and know where that information is coming from or where it's been yeah.
1: run out from and whose agenda is pushing what out. And that's what I've got to spend a lot of time determining. So from an environmental perspective, it makes sense. Right now, to me, it logically makes sense that we should probably eat less you know, animal-based product and eat more plant-based products. But again, that's something I've been harping on about for 25 years. You know, it, it, it's something I've always believed in. I've always believed in, you know, sourcing food, you know, and, and especially when it comes to animal products. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm big into, you know, talking about sourcing your food, knowing where your food came from, knowing, uh, you know, I came from a rural community, I came from a farming community. And, you know, I've been, I've kind of been privy to every major, Farming or agricultural drama that's been for the last three decades. You know, uh, you know the foot and mouth thing, the you know uh, the uh, mad cow disease, the Creutzfeldt uh, Jakob disease, uh, all of these different things because they affected the farming community. And I've also had big discussions with several of my friends who are farmers uh, about organic farming and about you know uh, sustainability. Yeah. And it, how it's all financially sort of subsidized and whether it's, it, you can actually make a living from it, you know, which is always the, the big question. And, and, and this is the same in our industry is that, is that there's a very, very shallow line there between, you know, what's ethically and morally right. And what's, what's about just either making money and taking advantage of people or, or actually helping people and, Making a, a good living out of it, and, and I think that's a that's a line that's crossed an awful lot in our industry, and probably crossed an awful lot in the farming community as well. Is that where do you sit? And the problem is, is that I'm always going to look after my my family, my friends, my my close knit circles more than anybody else on the planet. But I also want to help all those people outside of that initial circle, that small circle. I want to help all those other people outside of it. You know, we do the coaching stuff because I want to help people like you, Charlie, to to make a living ethically, morally, and also to be able to provide a quality of life to you, your family, whoever that you're responsible for. You know, that's a massive thing for me because that was ultimately why I got into the industry. And you know, as bog-standard and answer that is, people say, oh, I just want to help people. But <laughs> you can't help people unless you, you, you have a business that is you – know, I, was, I spent 15 years in the industry struggling to make ends meet, and that was when I was a single bloke. You know, and that was, you know, I struggled to pay my rent and I was working long damn hours. I didn't live an extravagant life. I didn't do any of these things. And, and I harp on about this and I tell people about this and, and I remember, and, and what are we now? It must be seven, seven, eight, nine. It'd be about nine years ago. And I remember sitting in, 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 my flat in elephant castle in, in, in London, uh, getting paid an hourly rate that was actually pretty impressive, an hourly rate, right? That didn't mean I was taking that hook. It just meant that was my hourly rate. So people go, "What do you charge per hour?" I'd be like, "Bump." They'd be like, "Wow, that's amazing!" Because they'd compare it to their hourly wage, and they'd think that. But they didn't look at the groundwork. That the fact that uh, that hourly rate that I was charging, I was probably doing another hour or two's groundwork around that to provide the service that was facilitating my business. You know, so they, they they probably weren't seeing all that. So, so I remember about nine years ago, and I remember I had this, I had this. It was a Corvoisier cognac bottle, and I used to put change into it. And I remember not being able to pay my rent that month. And you know, at the time, I think I was, I was, my hourly rate was about sixty-five pounds an hour. I think at the time, and I was busy. How old were you then, Phil? Uh, nine, <laughs> nine years ago, uh, I'd have been thirty-three. <laughs> you know, so at that point. You know, I've got I've got the, the voice of my dad in the back of my head, and and him telling me, you know, thirty years ago, and and saying to me, "Look, son," he goes, he goes, "I don't see where because my sister was very academic, I wasn't. I did art design, I did PE, I did uh, you know everything that was creative and everything that was, and I did all these things. Then I decided I was going to become a personal trainer, and I remember my dad having this conversation with me and saying, "Look, son," and it was a, it was a valid conversation. I'd have this conversation with my son as well, and, and, and I'd be like, look, I don't see where this is going. And, and that was the conversation with him. And I, my response to him was, look, dad, I'm really good at it, and I really enjoy it, and I think I can make something out of it. And had I known then what I know now, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have smashed it, you know, but I knew nothing about business. I knew nothing about running a business. I knew nothing about anything. All, all I knew was I knew how to train people. I Your knew results. how to, yeah, I knew how to get results out of people, and I knew how to converse with people, which was a massive skill back then, which which I didn't know I had. I just did. I, w- I was very good at communicating. So you know, I remember that conversation with my dad. So it, you know, it's it, sorry, we've kind of gone off on a, a complete tangent there, seems Charlie. Going. But it's. It, but ultimately, it all came back to, you know, wh- where, do I, where do I sit with respect to these, these morals and these ethics? So, again, going back on the vegan thing is that, that I don't know enough about both sides of the environmental argument. I think it probably stands that we probably all need to, you know, I'd love to just listen to Arnie and go with what Arnie says and blah, blah, blah. But as much as I have respect for the guy, I have no idea what his background is with respect to knowing the environmental. Or know, what other agendas there might be behind it. Yeah, of course. I, I want to listen to experts. Yeah. You know, and, and we go back on the Netflix documentary and the Netflix documentary, the problem, you know, the biggest problem with that is that every single person that was in that documentary had a vested financial interest in telling the story they told. Yeah. And straight away, you know, and, and I remember somebody saying, Well, you haven't even watched it. I'm like, Well, I don't want to watch it. You know, because because I, I already know the I already know the cast, so to speak. <laughs> And I'm like, I know the cast, I know none of them are experts in the field. Yeah, there was a couple of experts in there, but again, they had vested interest financially to actually uh, have that narrative. So it's completely so, biased. Yes. Yeah, so it, 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 and Netflix are renowned for this. And at the end of the day, it puts bums on seats, right? I mean, I, I can't even your imagine.
0: What, and we're having this conversation now, so it works.
1: I can't even imagine the amount of viewers that, that Game Changers probably had. I wasn't one of them. You know, I watched little snippets, obviously, here and there, but but I didn't watch the entire thing because I, I think I've got better things to do with a couple of hours in <laughs> my life. Uh, but again, people then say, well, how can you form an opinion? and, and Because I know that the information is badly sourced. That's why... There's so some poor foundations from the start. Yeah. So it's like what I was saying about standing in the middle, right, Charlie? Is that is that I'm, I'm doing this? I'm doing these? I'm doing these visuals right in front of you here. I'm realizing that half the people listening to this are probably not going to see a thing, a single thing I'm doing. But uh, you know, it's like that standing in the middle sort of scenario. Is that you've got to know where that information's coming from? Is that somebody can shout an argument for anything? Is that you know? Uh, I remember one of my clients lost about nine stone. And he'd still go into his office, and he'd still get that same person walk up to him, who was an avid cyclist, who would tell him, "You need to start cycling. That's the way <laughs> to lose weight." And and it was just it, it was just funny. He used to come and tell me this story. He goes, "Yeah, he came up to me again today and said I should start cycling because because it, it's the best thing for weight loss." And it, again, there instantly we've got an example of somebody who we probably shouldn't listen to. Yeah. We can entertain it, of course, but we probably don't want to take that as you know that is. You know, as it is, right? I
0: think it's one of those things people need to be very aware of: is that everyone's going to have an opinion on you trying to change yourself, and whether their opinion is correct or valid is is often open for interpretation.
1: Yeah, and and again, and and again, I you know I use this word an awful lot, Charlie. The word context, right? Yeah, is that what's right for one person isn't right for another, and at the end of the day, you know. Uh, we talk about, I put a post yesterday about, you know, uh, body acceptance. People are talking a lot about body acceptance and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, at the end of the day, you know, I'm in the health industry. That's that's what I, I do. I, I look at people and I try and make them healthier and I improve their quality of life and all those different things in, 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 on many levels. You know, I'm not just looking at people being uh, able to, you know, move around and play with the kids as they get older and, and be able to uh, live this long you know, high quality life, but also we need to look at the other aspects of life is that, you know, finances are, are an aspect of life. So part of the, the service that we offer is to help coaches with their business because ultimately that great coach will leave the industry if they can't afford to put a roof over the head. You know, so it all, you know, it's how does that context sit in there? So Did you find that
0: was a something you struggled with initially when you moved into the training industry, then like how to actually set yourself up and run yourself as a business. Was there a,
1: I didn't have a clue Charlie. A, I just, I turned up and I trained people. That's all I did. How, how, how did d-
0: you improve on that? Is that from working with people or hiring mentors yourself? Or? Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, my whole educational journey was to get better as a, as a coach and, uh, and uh, around coaching and nutrition. Those were the two educational platforms I look for. So therefore, I became better at delivering those two particular services, but the problem was the overlying service to all of those things was business, and I knew nothing about it. And the problem was is that, and I was very fortunate, and, and, and I look back in retrospect about this, and I talk about the, the, the kind of journey of this, is that I've been very fortunate, and, and fortunate's a funny word, in that was I fortunate or was I did I position myself right or whatever, you know, you can argue, argue both sides, but... What happened is that I've never been to a facility where I haven't picked up clients very, very easily. And and I've always picked up clients. I mean, the the, the big place I moved to in, in London, and I've talked about this a million times over, is the first place I moved to in London, I had a waiting list within three weeks of being there. Being there, And there was people who'd been there coaching for 10 years who'd never had a waiting list. And, and I went in like a bull in a china shop. And all I did, I, I just... Walk around the place and introduce myself to everybody. That's all I did. Start a conversation. Because, yeah, because people were, people never going to hire a coach they didn't know mm. basics, right? You know, nobody's going to hire a coach they don't know. And somebody, and somebody, somebody's certainly not going to hire a coach who looks like they don't know anything about them or who they are or whatever it might be. And what you're going to remember is that the vast majority of clients that walk into a facility probably in their forties, you know, thirties and forties in most commercial facilities. Most coaches are in their early twenties. So that conversation probably isn't just going to fire up on its own. You've got to instigate that. And, and I just went in and, and, and again, growing up in the pub industry, watching my dad talk to complete strangers for years and years. It was something I was really good at. And I didn't realize I was just good at that. You know, so I used to, I used to go into, and, and I remember at the third space where I, where I started in London and, well, I didn't start there, but that was where I inevitably sort of ended up, and then went on to, to UP, and it was that commercial gym. And I'm like, I've came in; nobody knows anything about me. I'm brand new. I'm the new guy, and and it and it annoyed the hell out of all the other coaches. Did and, you secretly love that though? Uh, no, because I wasn't. You know, I don't have that sort of narcissistic yeah. tendency. That I I I kind of maybe I did deep down. Maybe there was something there. Yeah, but it, I didn't go in there to make friends. I went in there to, to curate a business. Yeah,
0: that's what I mean. To, I think it was me from a competitive point of view. I would have liked that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think when I look back at it, when I talk about it, it there is kind of a little...
0: You're little smiling, that's a yes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> there is a little something there. because No, because because it takes me back to a story that, that one of my clients, one of my very good clients told me years later, the, the week that she signed up with me, she got a phone call from two of the coaches. So they got out their way to go in, which data protection wouldn't permit now. But they went into the back end of the, the, the membership system, got her phone number, and phoned her up and said, You shouldn't train with this guy. And they just speculated. They were like, You shouldn't train this guy. Because at the time I was doing a lot of powerlifting, I was quite a big, big sort of unit. And they were like, You don't want to train with this guy. He's just a bodybuilder. And the irony was, I wasn't even a bodybuilder. It was, it was just, it was. They were like, "You shouldn't train with this guy. He's just a bodybuilder. He's going to put you on this kind of diet. He's going to make you do this and do this and do this." And obviously, this person wasn't looking for that kind of outcome. You know, they weren't wanting to be a powerlifter. They weren't wanting to be a bodybuilder. They just wanted to get in great shit, which which inevitably they did. But but it was it was funny, and uh, you know, I remember the, the the trainers, and and that's an insecurity, and that's something again. You'll have heard me talk about Charlie is that that I take I take a lot of empathy with. uh you know, people like that, because I, it's like trolls on social media, right? You know, trolls on social media. The vast majority of the time, they've got a problem. Yeah, and, they're, they're lashing out because of their own issues. Yeah, of course. And, and, and I, I have a lot more empathy towards that sort of thing than, than ever before because, you know, I, 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 growing up, I, w- I was bullied a lot. You know, I was overweight as a kid. It was, you know, and I found it very tough. And, and I now have a lot of sympathy to some degree for the people that used to do it. Because a lot of them now, it transpires, you know, years later, that that most of them had really big problems, and you know, it was it was either family life, it was either personal life, it was the either mental problems, it was you know all these different things. But each each one of them had some challenge, some kind of issue as to why they did it, and and now I'm more I err on the side of caution, and I'm like, look you know, uh, these cl- people clearly have problems. And, and if I have to distance myself, I distance myself. If I, if, if, if I've got the time and I, I, I feel like I can, you know, bond with these people in some way, I might even ask them and say, look, you know, is there anything I can help with? You know, I remember a guy having a real vicious attack at, uh, at me, my family, everybody on social media, he even went on to a load of pictures of my uh, our newborn baby and, and, and put all these, you know, horrendous comments up about it. And I just reached out to him and I said, look, you know, what's, you know, is everything okay? And he literally just spilled everything and and he apologized and he was like, look, I'm so sorry. And he deleted all the comments and blah, blah, blah. This was just guy having challenges. And it was, and again, I, I don't know how we've kind of gone around this topic, but, but yeah, it, 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 it it's very different now.
0: The, um, I think that's the interesting thing that always people talk about social media anyway, is that the access everyone has to everyone is, uh, an interesting dynamic now, I think, where people can almost reach out to anyone, um, which I, th- I think is awesome. I think it's incredible. Because I think although social media in some respects is like tearing people apart, everyone sits with their phone at dinner, like everyone becomes a lot closer and it's easier for people to communicate with each other. And I think it also breaks down a lot of barriers in terms of um, internationally maybe because people can see how other people live their lives. They're not so different.
1: Yeah, I think I think I think if you embrace it for what it is, it's it's a phenomenal tool. I think it has its disadvantages, but like anything, you know, I'm sure you know when the telephone first came about, you know, people would be have crank callers, and yeah. and I'm sure you know, and it, it and, and it's scaled because obviously now it's a different thing. It's not, you know, you can imagine that crank caller doing you know dialing, and, and and for those of you listening to this rather than watching it, it's it's like those old school phones where you used to have to dial a number and wait for it to come all the way back before you could dial the next number. I remember my nan <laughs> had one of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember having one myself, so <laughs> very, very <true. laughs> a, I think there's an age discrepancy there, maybe, Charlie. But uh, it was, and, and I remember dialing, we were talking about this with the kids, actually, just the other night. And uh, I remember we had a three-digit phone number. And if you phoned outside your local area, you had to put a, another three-digit code in. It was crazy. And, uh, but anyways, um, I'm showing my age here. Uh, so, sort of on
0: sort of subjects of nutrition, what would you say is- the, the sort of low-hanging fruit most people like, general pop are, mis- are missing or are not paying attention to. Do you think, uh,
1: with respect uh, to what outcome, weight, kind of loss, health or weight, weight, loss, weight or loss or weight loss? Weight loss. Uh, I would imagine probably the thing that I see the most is that when now one of the big challenges as a coach is getting getting someone to be honest about what they consume. You know, so you ask somebody for a food log. Chances are, it's probably a load of food the vast majority of the time. Now, now that is all about that initial communication, Charlie. Is that if you can't create a level of empathy with a client? So, if I get a, you know, if you're you're this, you know, the super dude, or you know, you're shredded, or whatever it might be, or you're in super shape, and you get this this overweight middle-aged, you know, person comes in, and they're going to look at you and they're going to pass judgment because that's what human beings do, right? They're going to look at you and they're going to go, oh well, this person's probably never had a weight problem in their entire life if you've had a weight problem make sure you vocalize that because straight away their barriers will drop you know so that's that's always a a topic you know when people find out that i struggled with my weight that was exactly straight away away barriers drop you know that's a story that you should tell and you should make people aware of and not be embarrassed about and be you know embrace the fact that you've been on a journey. Uh, and a similar journey to probably the one they're trying to put themselves on. So, so it's that degree of empathy. So once you've broken all those barriers down, it's things like, look, uh, me telling somebody, I don't care what you're eating right now. You know, whatever you're eating right now, it's so important for me that I know what it is. You know, I'm not going to sit there and I'm not going to persecute someone for eating a Mars bar every day of their life, you know, because that isn't the issue. The issue is that, is that, that calorically on top of everything else and from a health perspective probably isn't the best thing in the world. Now, am I going to stop them eating Mars bars? Probably not. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to make them very aware of the fact they do it and I'm going to make them aware of the fact that it's probably not in alignment with the goals that they've just told me. They've told me. A lot of that is the consultation process is the affirmation by the person that's going to be doing it. Is that I always throw stuff back at at, at, at you. So Charlie, if I was consulting with you, I'd, I'd ask you, so can you do that? And I want you That's to confirm nice. to me that you can. And, and if there's a little bit of a break in your voice or anything like that, I'll be like, are you sure about that? Is there anything we can do that, that will make that process easier for you? Is there anything that, you know, and I'm, I'm looking for those little subtle things. And um, a lot of the time, because of self-persecution and the fact that people don't believe they uh, deserve success a lot of the time, and this is a massive thing. This is something I dealt with an awful lot for a, you know, a large proportion of my life is that, that I, I've been told so many times that I'd, I'd, I'd fail at something or, or that I was a failure or that I wouldn't amount to anything or, and all these different things. And I, I was of the mentality that I, I wanted to prove people wrong. And what you're going to realize is the vast majority of people aren't of that mentality. They'll listen to people and they'll take it on board and then they'll believe it. So a lot of these people that we're dealing with believe they don't deserve success. And for success for them is to lose some weight. So when we look at it from that perspective, when we start to look at those different things, we've got to realize that this person probably isn't going to do it for themselves. So then I would flip it as a coach to them doing it for me. So I'd ask them, can you do that for me? Make them accountable to you. Yeah. And, and
0: it's not, and they won't want to let you down because they've come to you because they look up to
1: you. Yeah. A position of authority. Of and 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 I want them to look up to me, and, and it, it it's that flipping of the you know the, the accountability and also the who am I doing this for? So you know a lot of people achieve things like weight loss as they get older because they do it for their families. You know, you'll have a guy in his middle, you know, middle-aged guy who's just had a had a, a, a bout of angina. He'll come to you and he'll be like, "Right, the issue here isn't the fact that I might drop dead." tomorrow it's the fact that I might drop dead tomorrow and I'm going to leave three kids you know my wife I'm going to leave you know and, and all these different That's things the start point. to go around the head and then yeah. all of a sudden it, it becomes a, a selfless yeah. thing that you're doing instead of a selfish thing you know I always talk about bodybuilding bodybuilding is a selfish thing you know because it, it, you've got to be so self uh, sure. oriented you can't consider other people a lot of the time you can, but it's not going to really change much that you considered them. <laughs> it's not really going to change. You're still you're what you still do what you want. Yeah. Yeah. So so whereas whereas a lot of the time health is about a selfless act is that you know me and my wife talked about this yesterday is that the most important thing for me is that that I'm mobile. I'm able to be around for my kids. I'm able to be you know around for my wife. Uh, those. Things take way more presence than me, you know, rocking off to Ibiza, whipping my shirt off, and everybody around the pool seeing that I've got a sick pack. Mm. You know, when you look at it and you talk about it in that sense, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, maybe it's life's like, got a little bit more thing. to it. Break, but, you know, this break, is this, break things down like that. It's, it's... Yeah, and it's it's this thing where, you know, and there's nothing wrong. You know, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with being in shape, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, if, as people say, if you're going to you flaunt it, but it's, it's, but at the end of the day, it's, it's like uh, clothing. Let's look at clothing and, and, and take that into, again, context is that people will wear something and then they're so consciously aware and think that everybody's aware and remembered what they were wearing that they'll never wear it again. Oh my God, I wore this. I've worn this so many times and everybody's acknowledged. You know, If you ask me in two days' time, Charlie, what was I wearing for the podcast interview? And the thing is, I'll remember it now because I can see it. <laughs> but if, if you just off the cuff asked me what was I wearing, I won't have a clue. And this is the reality is that people don't acknowledge the things that you think people acknowledge. You know? People are like, Oh my god, I can't go out because my, my nails aren't done. I can't go out because my, my hair's not done. I can't go out because you know, and, and people don't acknowledge these things. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it like, too you, paranoid it's like your footwear. It's like, you you know, the, people don't acknowledge what people are wearing on their feet, you know? And then when you, when you fall into that, your whole outlook on things changes. You know, I, my wardrobe is literally, and, and you're actually, you're actually privy to a very colorful t-shirt right now. I so, was quite
0: impressed with that one. It's a, yeah. If anyone
1: I'm, is not, uh, you can't watch it. It's a blood, sweat,
0: respect from underarm. It's the rock t-shirt,
1: isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's pretty yeah, bad. But but my wardrobe is literally just black t-shirts. Yeah, I've probably got. I reckon I've probably got twenty to twenty-five plain black t-shirts, and I wear black t-shirts, jeans, and a pair of trainers. And the vast majority of time, I wear. You know, I have quite a collection of trainers, but I will. The vast majority of time, I'll wear one of probably three pairs. So every time somebody sees me, and and I'm, I remember going to a seminar. I think earlier this was it. No, it can't have been this year. It would be late last year, it must have been. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, I've got a picture of myself at a seminar three years ago wearing the exact same pants.
0: Put <laughs> your value for money out of them.
1: Yeah, but this is the thing. I'm like, you know, and, and this isn't about being tight. It's not about being, you know, untrendy or not keeping up with trends and blah, blah, blah. But, but it's, it's about the fact that I don't really see the point in spending money on this massive wardrobe clothes that I'll never actually wear. I work from home. Yeah, I've actually got trousers on today, you know, not to, I'm not normally in pants, but I, you know, I, I quite often just be wearing shorts. Yeah. I wear shorts and I throw a t-shirt on. And to be fair, the hat I'm wearing today, I only put the hat on because I can't be asked to do my hair. Exactly the same. <laughs> you know, and that's, and that's, that's it. You know, I come downstairs, I work, I work from home. And, and the only time I ever put trousers and shoes on is to go out the house, you know, and, and, and that's my work outfit so to speak and it's you know it's a funny one because your perspective on these things change as you get older and and you know finances and blah 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 is that you know and i talk about the the shoe thing because i know i know a lot of people in the fitness industry and you know when i started jordans were a big thing right you know nightcare johns you're talking 150 quid a pair minimum right and I'd be saying to a coach, "Look, I'm doing a seminar that's 150 pound. That's an, that's eight hours of education that you're not going to go to because you want the new next new Air Jordan release. It makes you laugh, isn't it? and and but as you get older, you all of a sudden you're like, oh, I get what he was on about there. Yeah. Is that I could have invested eight hours into my, you know, and learned a bunch of stuff about my, my business, up. and and actually probably right now be able to afford ten pairs of Air Jordans. Yeah. and it's about investments, right? Return on investment." investments in time investments in money and hell I, you know if i if i knew back then what i know now i would have so much more money in the bank because i just spent money on tat stuff that i thought i needed and i didn't
0: i think uh something's been very eye-opening for me i've traveled a hell of a lot the last six months and when you're on the road pretty much all the time you suddenly realize how little stuff you actually really need and like what is important to you so like as long as I have a few sets to close my laptop and a charge on my phones, so like I don't really need much else.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm you like, know I'm, I'm the most efficient packer in the world. I forget most of my stuff, so it's, it's quite very <laughs> efficient. But well, I'm like I'm like, do I do I pack this black T-shirt or this black T-shirt <laughs> or this black T-shirt? And it is, it's like that thing. It's like that thing where you know you it uh, removes decisions as, you have to make. Yeah, you what know did what you say. It remove decisions you have to make. like decision. Yeah, for- of course. My, you know, I don't, I don't think, oh, should I wear that today, that the like, no. It's like these, the you see these, these pictures in movies of people when they've got all the suits lined up, and there's like 10 of the same suit. <laughs> it's like, you know, and it is, it's like that. You know, all of my trainers are black high tops with white soles. Easy peasy. I know
0: it's getting for Christmas then. <laughs> and,
1: and it's, uh, but it is, it's these, it's, it's these basic things that all of a sudden, you know, you look at, and, and, and people always talk about, you know, what are the, the 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 characteristics of people who are successful in business and things like this. And and you know, I've been around a lot of people who are, who are worth an absolute fortune. And you have two ends of the spectrum. You have the people who are very flamboyant and buy everything. And you know, uh, uh, one of my old clients, they used to have, uh, they, they used to get the Gucci. Gucci used to send them every item of clothes out there in new season range. They actually used to send them them. And she used to buy probably 80% of it. And then send the other 20% back. So they they she had an arrangement with them that they would just send her the entire range. And she would send, you know, X amount back and keep the rest of it. And and that was but that was part of her and she used to talk about it, and I discussed this with her. And she used to talk about it as her armor. Is that is that the the business that she was in? It was all about. It was about looking good. It was about looking sharp. It was about looking in point. It was about all these different things, and that would be the difference between closing a deal in the business that she was in, and and she talked about it as her armor, and that was an investment into her armor, and that was part of a business investment as far as she was concerned. Whereas I had other clients who were, you know, uh, a very good business mentor now who, who you know, sold all his cars, got rid of all the, the, the sort of token possessions that he'd acquired over the years and literally lives a super simple life now you know, and has infinitely more money to go into his business. So, so the legacy that he will leave when, you know, when, when he's done is, is, is going to be enormous because he's, he's invested into that legacy stuff that he would have probably frivolously just spent You know, and, and, you know, I'd like to say as a family, we're very, very, very thrifty uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, spending and and money and revenue. And and don't get me wrong, you know, we we, we spend things, you know, we fly. I, I can't remember the last time I took a normal flight, you know, because I see that as something that I've worked incredibly for. And I actually thoroughly enjoy flying. You know, and the experience of being in business class, first class, I thoroughly enjoy that. I see that as part of my holiday, and my trip, and things like this. And people might say, well, you know, another person will say, well, that's a complete waste of money. And I might, well, not to me, because I like getting off at the other end and being able to walk. Yeah, being refreshed. me, if I sit in this little cramped up seat, it's, a, it's the most uncomfortable five, eight hours, you know, I could ever imagine. And is it worth that extra investment? Yeah, it is. Yeah. To me, it is. To other people, they'll be like, well, no, I'd prefer to spend that on my holiday when I get there. You know, but ultimately, it's that pot that all of that comes from. It's your decision where you want to invest it or spend it or whatever it might be.
0: Yeah, it's all relative, isn't it? Absolutely, right? Uh, taking things back to training, but obviously, you mentioned briefly in terms of you had uh, a powerlifting background. Do you think uh, strength training plays a huge role for the majority of people when it comes to fat loss and building muscle, where people tend to shy away from heavier training, perhaps?
1: Uh, when it comes to fat loss not necessarily because fat loss is you know it's just a, a, nice. ed, it's the energy equation and it's, it's a nutrition thing so does it does it have to play a role no would it play a valuable role yeah it probably would uh is it again is it right for everybody no uh depending on where somebody's stage of life uh the physical attributes you know if i'm working with somebody who mechanically is fairly sound yeah totally i'm gonna go into that but i'm not gonna take a a fat loss client who's came into me, and and I see this a lot in coaching. I'm not going to take a fat loss client who's came into me to, to 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 with a fat loss goal and spend the first eighteen weeks teaching them how to do a back squat correctly. He's not going to do it. You know, ultimately, I'm going to use movements that will develop the, the 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 mechanics that would facilitate them doing a back squat maybe in the future. But there's this obsession in the industry of Everybody has to back squat. Everybody has to do this. Everybody has to do that. No, no, no. Nobody has to do anything. You know, we just look it's at movements. And, and, and one of the probably biggest coaching skills that I see <sighs> lacking in a lot of people is being able to, uh, you know, regress movements. He's been able to take something like squats. So they'll, they'll stick somebody in a bar and say, squat. They can't squat. Then they'll be like, oh, don't know what to do now. So I'm just going to make them do bad squats for the next 20 weeks. So injured, instead, yeah. yeah, instead of regressing it and going, right, well, what can they do? and we're going to do those movements. What would you take
0: people back from from a squat for
1: anyone who's listening then? How would it take somebody back? Again, depends on the mechanics, but typically you're you're moving it all the way back down to almost split lunges. Uh, Might be flat, might be elevated, again, depending on how far they need to go back. And and the, the art of regression is knowing how far you take someone back. I might just take someone from a back squat into something like a suitcase deadlift. Yeah, you know or a trap bar deadlift because again we're looking at the mechanics we're looking at the postural muscles it might be that they're, they're they've got thoracic issues that cause them problems in their squats it might be might be hip issues so i might have to take them back and you do some supplementary work around the hip extension uh you know and then this is being able to break down a squat and look look at it and go right what's weak what's strong what's inhibited you know what's over dominant You know all of these different things, been able to do that, and then 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 you regress it to wherever they need to go to. But essentially, you know, take someone again. If we generalize, uh, we'd probably take someone down to something like a chair squat, which is just basically sitting down, standing up, or we might take them back to single leg. You know, derivatives like step ups or lunges. You know, an elongated walking stride, and then work on that from there.
0: I think the most the majority of people aren't aware like in particular when they're working with a trainer, if they're not forced to do so, how maybe unilaterally they've got issues, strength, strength differences side to side, which can cause massive problems.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's a longevity thing. I think that's, a, that's a something where these kind of issues won't rise until you're probably in your 40s, your 50s, 60s. And, and these are things where, you know, inherently, you know, most of the clients that I dealt with in their 50s had, had problems that had arisen from bad movement patterns for decades. You know, they hadn't just all of a sudden gone, oh my really? God, I've injured myself. You know, so realistically, again, this is the, like, you know, like posture. Coaches say, I'll fix your posture. No coach is ever going to fix anybody's posture. Not in the gym. They're just not. Because, you know, th- this person's in a, in a bad postural position for probably, here's me sitting up right. Uh, <laughs> exactly the same when you said yeah, that. Yeah, bad postural position for the vast majority of their life. And you think that, you know, 30 minutes even three times a week is going to correct that. You know, we can make them more aware. We can look at their outside world. We can look at the things that the desk, their computer screen position, their camera position, all these different things that come into play, their seat position, you know, all all the things that would cause them to slouch or, uh, you know, twist or whatever it might be. Computer screen being on the left-hand side means that I always have a rotation there. So I need to compensate for that. So so a lot of my things are moved. So everything's aligned. And 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 simple things like that. Uh, so it's you know for a fat loss client, what do we? You know we're looking at they're moving, and this is where our understanding of movements has got to be fairly strong, so we can regress them and move them up to a squat. I'd expect anybody who's you know spent sixteen or twenty weeks with me to eventually probably be able to just stick a bar on their back and squat fairly successfully without ever squatting just because you built the functional movement. From yeah, out. because the, the, the movement patterns, you've looked at the patterns of movement and you've, you've drilled them and drilled them and drilled them and drilled them. And remember, practice. Squatting's a skill. You know, yeah. we forget about this, is that a lot of the movements that we do in the gym are skills, which means we've got to repeat them. You know, I've just started training with my son and, and you know, we're, we're doing bench press most days. How's your son? He's 14.
0: What's that? Uh is he, is he starting to get into it then? That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. yeah, no,
1: he enjoys it. And, and, and again, we're, we're drilling movements where, you know, we're spending a lot of time doing, and we haven't squatted. Yeah. You know, we lunge. That's what we do. We lunge. We do lots and lots and lots and lots of lunges. We do lots of hamstring work and we do lots of, because, you know, these are the things that, and then, you know, he'll be telling me, he'll go, oh, yeah, but my mates are going to the gym and they're all squatting and they're bench pressing and doing all these different things. And when we're doing a bench press, you know, we're mechanically doing a bench press. We're yeah. doing a bench press perfectly. Yeah. You know, there's, there's none of this, oh, put as much weight on the bar as you can and move it from A to B. for You know, and, and I'm teaching him that because I know that inherently, and to be honest, I probably wouldn't even step foot on a bench press with him for a long time. But the fact is, I'm, how would I say I'm compensating for the fact that all of his mates are probably doing it.
0: Yeah, so you know he'll end up doing it anyway.
1: So he's going to end up doing it anyway. So I, I would like to think that when he does do it and when he goes and trains with his mates, because ultimately he's probably not going to train with his dad for, forever. So, so I, to me, I'm like, look, eventually he's going to go and train with the mates. And I'd like to think that the movements that, that his mates awesome. are probably doing, he's going to be able to execute pretty damn well. Yeah, it'll show him all up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any,
0: any advice for anyone in a similar situation with kids? Like a lot of people are very anti children weight training it's quite a fascinating thing that's awesome to be fair any advice for anyone who's like you get a lot of pain? Like, I even remember when I started training when I was young I don't know 14, 15 my like, mum my was having kittens that you are going to
1: <laughs> I remember remember when I brought my first p- tub of protein oh yeah 100% it's like oh my god what is that yeah uh, I'm like it's powdered milk mum <laughs> it's literally powdered milk I said it's in baby food you know it's in baby formula I'm okay and, uh, and uh, never mind the creating argument, that was a whole different ballpark. Yeah, we'll be in there. <laughs> and, uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, with, with kids, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's massive, massive evidence. And again, this is the two sides, and this is something I understand an awful lot about, is that there's massive evidence to prove that there is no detrimental effect to kids doing resistance training. There is actually more detrimental effect to kids doing things like bounding, jumping, you know, uh, dropping movements, things like this. So, so the stuff that they're typically doing at school, He's actually, in many respects, more risky and more damaging than doing controlled resistance training. Because uh, remember, it, again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a demo here kind of <laughs> on my desk, the, the people listening more well are here. But it, it, I always use the analogy of a pencil, right? So if I want to break a pencil, what do I do? Do I hold both ends and try and bend it? Or would I be better off actually just whacking it against something and snapping it? Now, if we whack it against something, that's the stuff that you kids are doing on a daily basis. They're jumping up and down and they're hitting their joints and blah, blah, blah. And people talk about things like you know bones bending because of resistance training. A controlled squat is not going to bend your bones anymore because the force that jumping off a three-foot platform or a climbing frame or jumping off a swing or all those things your kids have been doing since they, they were you know knee-high, all those things, there's way more impact and way more force going through their bones, their joints, ligaments, tendons, doing those things than there ever will be in a weight training room. Because your kid isn't going to go into a weight training room and squat three times their body weight. So the load and the force that's going through your joints and through your, your bones and things like this is going to be nowhere near what it is when they're jumping and bounding around at school.
0: And also it's a controlled environment, so you're not likely to slip or of course. be out of control.
1: Yeah, and again, the, the, the most important thing here, I think, is if, if kids are going to resistance train, and I'm saying resistance train, just so people understand that resistance training doesn't necessarily involve picking up weights resistance training can be you know bands any type of resistance pushing sleds things like this is that resistance training is hugely beneficial to bone growth development things like this you're not going to stunt someone's growth (laughs) by weight training you know and evidence supports all of this so you know it's I would say go for it Uh, resistance training I think will be a big thing that we'll see particularly with kids in 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 the future and also you know it's not like you know and another discussion we had you know not so many nights ago is that When we were young, we would play in the street, you know, and nowadays it's probably not as safe as it used to be to do that, you know. So, so you know, youth clubs and things like this don't exist and and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, a good place for your kids to be is in the gym. Yeah. you know it's a safe environment it's a controlled environment it's beneficial to the health it's beneficial to you know just like youth clubs used to be right youth clubs used to be beneficial to your social health and your you know your, your your friendship circles and things like this and and i remember going to you know countless youth clubs when i was a kid but youth clubs don't exist anymore you know because of you know legal restrictions and various other bits and pieces and and, and the logistics of running them and uh you know all these different things but but we're better you know a gym, a, you know, a sports club, things like this. I think are phenomenal for kids. Cool.
0: We'll start to wrap things up there. One last question, if you know, Phil uh, or two. Where do you see the fitness industry going in the next five to ten years or few years? And what's the future for Phil Lernie?
1: uh Where do I see the fitness industry going? Uh, if it, I'm going to give a really poor answer here, <laughs> I'm going to say it the right way. Okay. I, think the I, fitness would, I would say it's is, improved a lot education wise in the I think the fitness industry is getting better. Yeah. It is getting better. Whatever people, you know, and if you choose to see the bad stuff, you'll see the bad stuff. Yeah. I, I, you know, from the perspective I see, I, I see the fitness industry and the health and fitness sector getting so much better. Uh, there's more lines of communication being opened. There's people starting to collaborate with, you know, medical science and things like this and, and collaborate, not takeover you know years ago it was you know you, you either went to your gp for advice or you went to your trainer and you didn't you didn't cross those two things over whereas now you know these people are ty- you know starting to work together which is great uh so i think from a health and fitness perspective i just think the, the environment's going to get better uh what does the future hold for me uh, lots of business stuff. Uh, I've got a big project that's, that's, that's kicking off next year, which is going to be uh, uh, possibly one of the biggest ones yet, uh, which is super cool, super exciting. A lot of groundwork going in uh, on that. Uh, the growth of the Academy, uh, we're, we're progressively getting more and more people on board to, to to assist with what we're doing with the Academy. We've launched in Europe. Uh, a good friend, Alice, who's, who's looking after the European side of things. So we're in Europe now. Uh, we're about some European base. Uh, well, we, the base is in Slovenia, uh, okay. but we cover Austria, Germany, and Slovenia at present, and then we'll expand that. Uh, we've we've we're, we're rejigging the whole platform. The the, the whole platform is getting changed as to to how we deliver stuff again, just based on feedback that we've had. It's a big job. Uh, we've been doing that for about the last twelve months, if not more. Uh, so so yeah, it's it, it's just progression of things. Uh, yeah, it's bigger, bigger or better yeah bigger and better you know and, and again, trying to facilitate a, a better quality of life for my family uh, from a personal perspective uh, by again hopefully resonating that, that sort of stuff outside of that and, and doing the same for other coaches you know because that, that is the intent of, of, of what we do is to you know improve the quality of lives of the people that we serve because we're in the service industry, and that's, that's what the service industry is about.
0: It's helping people, ultimately.
1: Um, how can people find some more information about you? What's
0: your Instagram? Your website? Instagram
1: is at the PT Coach. Uh, again, most of my Instagram is focused towards the the, the, the Training professional on. sector of what we do. But again, there's a lot of take homes there for people who are probably uh, are trainees or people who are interested in nutrition and things like this. Uh, the Advanced Coaching Academy. We also have an Instagram page. Uh, obviously advancedcoachingacademy.com is the, is, is the website that you'll find all the... And we're actually housing all the assets stuff in, in there right now. Uh, we will be moving that to its own website very soon. Uh, but right now, com at the PT coach on uh, on Instagram, uh, which is where I put most of my content through. Uh, I, I have a Twitter handle, which is just Phil learny And I have my Facebook is just Phil learny as well. So So yeah. Awesome. Absolutely killer. Thank you so much for that, Phil.
0: Uh, also, guys, for anyone who's listening, we're now reopening up spaces for uh, one-to-one coaching clients for CJ Coaching. Now, the latest Shred Nate and Snake programs have, clo- have closed. So if you want to get involved with that, please hit the link below to apply to work with us. And um, thank you so much for today, Phil. Uh, you're an absolute legend. And you're, you're welcome.
1: helping. Me, to the
0: world. So pleasure. Thank you.